Reading now from the 8th chapter, the letter to the Romans. We know that the whole creation has been groaning in labor pains until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly while we wait for adoption, the redemption of our bodies. For in hope we were saved. Now, hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes for what is seen? But if we hope for what we do not see, we will wait for it with patience. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know how to pray as we ought. But that very Spirit intercedes with sighs too deep for words. And God, who searches the heart, knows what is the mind of the Spirit, Because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. The Word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I'm glad you're here today. Since you are, it probably means that you did not take the time to look and see what the sermon title would be for today. Or maybe if you did, you've just given up and realized that preachers overestimate regularly how much we actually have to say. We're not alone. You graduates had little choice about whether to attend today or not. You're what we call a captive audience. That's the way this thing works for 12 or 16 or 20 years. Teachers, guidance counselors, principals, professors, preachers have all been telling you things. And now, because you might soon be out of the reach of our voice, we're going to tell you some more. We have so much to say that we want you to sit and listen. We bring in to you baccalaureate speakers. I hear there will be a good one at West Florence this afternoon. I warn you, he has a lot to say. We put valedictorians before you. We give them a microphone and we hope that they don't have any grudges against you. It is never a good idea to be mean to the person who has the last word. I hope you've been good to your valedictorians. Words. 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 We fill this world with words. This world that God created with just a few words and that we have ever since been making it hum with all the words we have to say. Pentecost is an extreme example of this. Churches like to play on the chaos of that story. They'll have one start reading the word from Acts in English, as Tyler did today, and then they'll have somebody in Spanish join in, and then they'll have a person with Mandarin join the fun, and then Arabic, and before long you can't understand anything anybody's saying, and and then somebody like Tyler doesn't have to worry about pronouncing all those strange names because they're all on top of each other anyway. But not us. We just let you enjoy that yourself. You're welcome. Surely there was a chaotic scene in Jerusalem, that first Pentecost. And whatever liturgical tricks we have to help people understand the chaos, to help people understand that the Holy Spirit is free and mysterious and powerful and untamed is is good for us. When we're tempted to casually invoke God's Spirit among us, it's important for us to have that reminder that that God's Holy Spirit is powerful and we dare not ask His presence. 
casually. It's also important to acknowledge how necessary is the Holy Spirit for us. Do you notice what JT read from that story when Jesus describes the Holy Spirit coming? How things that Jesus had yet to say to the disciples are still coming, that they will come through the Holy Spirit. Jesus said they weren't yet ready to hear everything. I don't know if it was the disciples' grief in anticipating Jesus' departure or if it was their weariness after being with Jesus for three years and following Him in these radical teachings and bold ministries. I don't know what it was about Jesus' closest friends and followers that made them unprepared for the rest of His teachings, only that Jesus said they were not yet ready. But that one day, the Spirit will speak those words to them. It reminds me of something that Jeremiah promised. He heard God say, I will put my law within them and I will write it on their hearts and I will be their God and they shall be my people. No longer shall they teach one another and say to one another, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me from the least of them to the greatest, says the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity and remember their sin no more. Jesus came. And showed us a God who is available to everybody. Who desires a relationship with everyone. And who is willing to forgive anyone. And who isn't satisfied. Filling our minds with information. He wants our hearts filled with His law. And to our world where people seem to think that if they are the loudest person in the room or if they never yield the floor to another voice, that somehow they are the most correct and that their opinions win the day, comes God, who promises to write the law on our hearts, which I take to mean treating one another well is superior to knowing that we are to treat one another well. If we have to choose between telling someone what we think is right and not doing it, and doing what is right and not announcing it, then we should bite our tongues and get to work. Fortunately, we don't have to choose. And if we'll get the order right, then our treating others well will earn us the privilege of sharing with them why we treat them well. The law written on our hearts, enacted with our hands and feet, gives us the credibility to speak about our Lord and the Spirit who is moving among us. I will listen to anybody share about Jesus and His kingdom, even if I'm pretty sure we'll disagree, when I'm confident that He is already coming from a place of loving God and loving neighbor. When I have seen that enacted in his or her life, then I'm ready to listen to what he or she has to say. For all the noise of the Pentecost story in Acts, and for all the talking that according to John we'll still be able to hear, it is the Holy Spirit's quiet role that we learn about from Paul in Romans. He describes a world that is groaning, aching, that overwhelms to the point of people not even knowing how to speak, how to pray about it. We know that world. We watch the images of 
the border between Gaza and Israel and think, how long have we prayed for a just peace over there? We hear reports, and, and one news channel's depiction is so very different from the next, and we wonder, how can both of these things be true? And whichever is truer, it's undeniable that that eight-month-old baby's body, deceased and lying in her grandmother's arms while she strokes it, weeping, did nothing to contribute to the conflict. And now we'll never have the opportunity to try to bring resolution to it. And it's more grievous than we can even express. Stories of refugee mothers and children being separated from one another break our hearts. Stories of educators being continually undervalued are maddening. Stories of Native Americans and African Americans being reported to police for being quiet or asleep are alarming. Stories of ongoing and worsening divisions among the residents of these tenuously united states of America are disheartening. It's all overwhelming. How many times do we have to pray about these things, oh God? I've had people tell me, they have prayed so long about situations in their own families that they don't even know how to pray anymore. And they just seem to get worse. It's as if all they can do is sigh. And into that comes the Holy Spirit, who for all the noise and chaos of Pentecost and all the instruction and reminders that He's to give on Jesus' behalf, takes our sighs and says, that's prayer. You've just prayed. I hear those sighs, sighs too deep for words, sighs that reveal your heart. I know how to translate those sighs for God's ears. You sigh, I'll sigh for you. God will hear that. Sighs are sufficient. When we're in a ministry of listening and, and, and walking alongside someone in a difficult time, Sighs are sufficient when we're so overwhelmed by the needs of the world that we become inarticulate and exhausted. Sighs are sufficient until they are not. We learn of yet another school shooting and have to suppress the demonic temptation to dismiss the tragedy as just how things are and just how they'll be. There are too many resources and there is too much at stake to let this be just another sad part of modern America. This Holy Spirit we celebrate today receives our sighs, prays our sighs, but this Spirit also speaks. He speaks into our hearts and minds the words of Jesus, the deeds of Jesus, the law of God. When we're comfortable sighing and then moving on, the Holy Spirit says, wait a minute. You sighed because it's breaking your heart to the point of immobility, but at some point I'm going to get you mobile again. 
And when I do, if it mattered to you that much before that you couldn't put words to it, it's motivating enough for you to do something then. Something that represents me. Something that represents my kingdom. Sighs are not a synonym for apathy. They're a precursor to action. You sigh. I'll hear. I'll speak. You listen. I'll remind you of the words you already have and I'll give you some new ones. I won't yell them at you. I won't dismiss the other voices around you. I'll simply point out that learning and living what Jesus had to say will be an amazing response to the challenges of this world that bring you to the point of sighing. There's more to say. But there's also much that's already been said. Learn it. Live it. Love as taught by it. So that you can represent me and my kingdom in what you say and do. At least that's what I'm hearing the Holy Spirit say when I take the time to listen. Amen.